What a way to enter into our time of Scripture. Uh, man, I will build my life. Wow. Uh, I hope uh, our, our time of worship has blessed you. Um, wow, what a, what a rich uh, opportunity to... I, I don't know if you do this. Maybe it's just me. Um, there's, there's moments in, in times of worship where I just I, I stop singing and I just listen to the choir around us and just take it in and just go, man, that's, that's going to be what heaven's like. Like, what a, whew, ah, I'm already crying. What a day, man. This is awesome. Uh, wow. This is, uh, here come the waterworks. All right. Uh, yesterday, Stephanie and I celebrated 17 years of marriage. Woo! Wow. Who'd have thought? Uh, that was incredible. Uh, it was awesome. We were sitting at dinner last night. We got a chance to just take a breath and go out to dinner. And uh, we're sitting across the table, and she goes, 17? Like, our marriage turned 17 this year? Are we old enough to have a 17-year-old marriage? I'm like, I guess so. And so, I mean, we got a kid entering the last year of middle school. Like, I think we can be 17 years in marriage. That's, that's awesome. And so we started reminiscing about our first weeks leading up to our wedding and the first few weeks after our wedding. And those were interesting weeks uh, to say the least. I had all lined up. I wasn't quite done with school, uh, but I had lined up an unpaid internship, and everybody knows how exciting that is as a newlywed couple. Unpaid internship, but, but they were providing housing. Well, that was good news, except we were approaching the wedding and we had not heard about this housing they were providing. And so it was like, awesome, is this like a box outside of the church building that we're going to live in? Or what are we talking about here? And the wedding is like a few days away, still nothing on the housing. And so we're like, ah, uh, great. So the wedding happens. It's wonderful. I'm bawling as she's walking down the aisle. That's no surprise to you. And she's just walking down the aisle. She still looks the same. Like it's just, I still see her walking down the aisle with her dad. It was wonderful. Uh, and then we had a great honeymoon up in Michigan. It was just beautiful. It was great. Still no word on that housing that was provided. And so, so now we are now newlyweds and homeless and so it was like hey in-laws thanks for your daughter's hand in marriage can I have the basement too so we move into the basement for a little while and then our home church has they have a camping trip and it's like we're already homeless let's go do that in the woods like that sounds great still no word on our housing and about a half a week before my internship starts they're like hey we got housing for you I'm like oh whoo that's helpful because Stephanie starts class at Illinois State like next week. We kind of need this lined up. It was just really stressful. Anybody else ever have a season in your life where it just feels like one step after another is just really, really difficult? See, it's difficult to live life one step at a time. But when we choose to live the lives of ambassadors, that's what we're signing up for. 
We've been in this series called, Oh, the Places We'll Go. We've been talking about living lives as ambassadors, which means that we are living lives really one step at a time. Last week, we talked about, we talked about being ambassadors where we are going. Peter and John were simply on their way in Acts chapter 3. They were simply on their way to the temple for, for daily prayer time and the evening sacrifice when they encountered this man born lame, begging for money. Peter says, I have no silver or gold, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he reaches out, grabs him by the hand and pulls him up. And this man now has this miracle of mobility because of the power of Christ and the hand offered by Peter. It's beautiful. They, 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 they had this pause in their daily lives and, and then they gave him their hand to help him up and they, they got to watch God do something amazing. But what happens when God actually calls us to go? What happens when God calls us to move out of our comfort zones? What, what happens not, when God calls us not to just be on our way and to just be on the lookout for ministry opportunities, but what happens when God calls us to something else? What happens when God guides us or directs us or gives us that divine nudge in a completely different direction down a completely different road? How do we respond as, as ambassadors, as, as representatives of Christ? Well, this week, we're going to dive into a story about a man named Philip. Philip was a disciple, and, and his story begins for us in Acts chapter 6, where, where he's a disciple and he's being commissioned by the apostles along with another well-known disciple named Stephen, and they're, they're commissioned by the apostles to become preachers and proclaimers of the gospel of Christ. And Philip, he first goes to Samaria where he preaches boldly and many come to know Christ as, as their Savior. Even Simon, the magician who had performed these really beautiful magic tricks, even him, he had become awestruck by the story of Christ through Philip's teaching. And now Philip is on his way back to Jerusalem, and this is where our story takes place in, in Acts chapter 8, verses 26 through 30. Now, now, now before we dive in here, I want to make sure that we are on the lookout and that we are paying attention for three major ambassador traits that Philip exercises here. Philip has this, he has this willingness, he has this eagerness, and he has this readiness that I think we need to learn from here today. So let's read in Acts chapter 8, starting in verse 26. Luke writes, he says, Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place, and he rose and went. And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all of her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and, and was returning, seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him and, and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, do you understand what you're reading? 
And he said, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of Scripture that he was reading was this, like a sheep he was led to the slaughter. Like a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, About whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this? About himself or about someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth. And beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, See, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop, and they, they both went down to the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away. And the eunuch saw him no more and went on his way rejoicing. This is God's word for us today. Did you see those ambassador traits that Philip carried with him? Did you see his, his willingness, his eagerness, and his readiness? I mean, he had just returned from an exhausting trip to Samaria. You see, ministry is awesome. It's fun. It's exciting. But it is tiring. It's exhausting. He just spoken to tons of people, baptizing them. And now he's on his way back, and he gets this calling. He gets this God-ordained assignment to go someplace he knows about but has never been to to do something that hasn't been revealed yet. See, Philip was, was willing to continually embrace his calling because he knew his calling went beyond himself. And once Philip was there, he, he was eager to do the work of Christ, whatever the work may be, and with whomever he would encounter. And as Philip was being the hands and feet of Christ, he knew that he was ready for this task that God had readied him and given him what he needed for this specific time and this specific place. And today, I want to spend our time looking at these three traits that Philip carried with him. The first one is this willingness, this willingness to go. You see, our story starts out with Philip getting, getting this prompting from an angel of the Lord. And when reading about Philip's first ambassador trip to Samaria, we simply read that he went. We, we don't know if he was prompted by the Lord or, or called by the Spirit or given assignment by the apostles. We, we know that Saul had started ravaging the church in Jerusalem and Philip went to Samaria. That's all Luke tells us. This could have been the first time in our passage this morning, could have been the first time that Philip had received a prompting and a calling by the Lord, but we don't know for sure. But the directions for the next step, oh, those are clear. Rise and go toward the south to the road that goes from Jerusalem to Gaza. That's pretty specific. Philip knows that this place is deserted, but he rises and leaves anyway, and then we get introduced to the Ethiopian eunuch. Now, we know a lot about the eunuch, but we never know his name. I think that's interesting. We know so much about him, but we don't know his name. The eunuch was a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians. He was essentially the CFO, right? The chief financial officer of the queen. He was returning from, from a trip to worship in Jerusalem. He was seated in his chariot. He was reading aloud from what we would call Isaiah 53, right around verses 7 and 8. 
And here's a side note that will become important later as we continue to open up this passage. While he was in Jerusalem for worship, he would have not been able to fully participate in worship as he was not known to be a Jewish man. He, he would have been known to be a God-fearer, but not a Jewish man because eunuchs would have been castrated and because of Old Testament law, any disfigurement would not have allowed him to fully enter into Jewish worship in the temple. The eunuch is in his chariot reading aloud from Isaiah and Philip receives the next step. This time from the Spirit of the Lord, go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran. Boy, Philip has this willingness to go. He has this incredible desire to be used by God for his kingdom and for his purpose. We see the willingness of Philip play out in both of these next step circumstances, these next step directions, these next right steps that he gets. Philip gets these general specifics from the angel of the Lord. Go toward the south to that one road that goes from Jerusalem to Gaza. And as strange as the directions are, he's faithful to them. He realizes quickly that the angel is telling him to go somewhere that's deserted. You see, Gaza had been destroyed by Alexander the Great in October of 332 B.C. It's deserted. And according to Brenda Tennell, who's been there recently, it is still quite deserted and quite dangerous if you do travel there. However, if Philip had been a student of Scripture, and he was, and if he had been a student of the teachings of the apostles, he knows this about our God, that God does extraordinary things in deserted places. I mean, the wilderness is where God reestablishes himself as the leader of Israel with Moses. The wilderness and desert places where Elijah finds rest under a broom tree and is, is rejuvenated and nourished by an angel of the Lord to continue on in his ministry. The wilderness and desert places where Jesus is tempted by, this, by, by Satan. The wilderness and desolate places where Jesus retreats early in the morning to find time with the Lord. The, the desolate place is the site of the feeding of the 5,000. God does extraordinary things in the wilderness, desolate, and desert places. See, this idea of the journey might have sounded weird to Philip. There, there's nothing there. Like, why am I traveling to a place that has nothing but just because we don't understand it doesn't mean God didn't ordain it. You see, Philip's understanding of the call to go does not determine his willingness to go. His calling as a disciple, his commissioning as an ambassador decides his willingness to take the next right step. And then as he gets, he gets to the road and he sees the chariot in this random desert place, he, he then gets his next step. This time from the Spirit of the Lord, go over and join this chariot. Now the chariot would not have been huge. It would have been big enough to fit three people in. The eunuch, a driver, and soon to be our friend Philip. It would have been an ox-drawn chariot, so it would not have been going very fast. But look at Philip's response here. Look at how Philip responds. It says in verse 30, so Philip, what? Philip ran. He, he wouldn't have needed to run to an ox-drawn carriage. But he ran. Why? Why does he run? He does not run out of necessity. He runs out of desire. He runs out of willingness. He runs out of calling because God's plan is worth running after. 
God's purpose is worth chasing down. The next right step is worth taking, even if it doesn't make sense yet. He still has no idea why he's approaching the chariot. And if you're anything like me, we get hesitant in taking the next right step because instead of knowing the next right step, we would rather know the outcome. You ever notice that when you go see a movie, you're like, oh, I just saw the new Mission Impossible, and the first thing out of someone else's mouth is, don't say anything. I've not seen it yet. We like those, we like those surprises in the theaters, don't we? We like to know, like, oh, I'm sure there's a cliffhanger. I'm sure there's, there's an unknown in it that I really want to be surprised with. But when it comes to our lives, we don't like that very much, do we? We don't like, we don't like the cliffhangers in our lives. We don't like the unknowns. We want to know every single detail of every single day. We want to know how it all plays out. We, we want to know how God is going to exactly use us. We want to know where we're going and what we're doing. We want to know every line we'll speak and every person we'll encounter. You see, instead of being satisfied with the next step of God's plan, we want to be sure that the outcome matches our desires. Maybe that's just me. But God doesn't generally work that way, does he? No. I mean, he can, yes, because he's God and he can do whatever he wants. But in my experience, and I'm guessing in your experience, he reveals the next right step. And as ambassadors, as representatives of Christ, we have to be willing to take that next right step. The step that moves on faith. The step that goes out with trust. Trusting that God's plan is worth running after. Philip doesn't get the whole plan. He doesn't, he doesn't even get the name of his target audience. He doesn't get the task. He gets the direction, the location, and he rises and goes and runs because he knows that God's plan and purpose are worth chasing down. Philip doesn't need to know the details because he knows the Savior who knows the details. Philip was an ambassador that had a willingness to go. The second ambassador trait here is eagerness, right? But it's an eagerness to be attentive. The second ambassador trait is Philip's eagerness to be attentive. The eunuch has been, been to worship in Jerusalem. He, he's, now, he's now returning to his home in Ethiopia, which is the modern-day Sudan. It's about 1,500 miles away from Jerusalem. It would have been a 75-day journey, one way which equals about to being about a five-month journey for him to go and not really fully be able to participate in worship. He's reading through the scroll of Isaiah, and for him to have his own copy of it means that he was a man of at least some wealth and status. Philip chases down the chariot, hears him reading, and asks the eunuch if he understands what he's reading. Now, this is not a question that would have insulted his intelligence. His intellect is not in question here. He's, he's asking about whether or not his heart is able to comprehend. And the eunuch tells Philip he needs someone to guide him. I love that word, guide. He needs someone to lead him through this passage and invites him up into the chariot with him. This word for guide literally means to lead or conduct like an orchestra. It's used elsewhere in Scripture to reference the leading of the blind where they should go. 
And Jesus uses this term for guide in reference to the Holy Spirit in John 16, 13, when he says that the Holy Spirit is a guide into all the truth. Guiding the eunuch is, is not just helping him understand information, but helping him become transformed by the text, help, helping guide him into a relationship with Christ. And so they dive into the passage together. And the eunuch asks Philip, who is this passage about? Is it about the prophet or is it about someone else? And I love verse 35. I love verse 35 because it says, Then Philip opened his mouth. And beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. Philip opens his mouth, but only after he was attentive. He's not making it about himself. He's not forceful. He's not pushing his own agenda. He's remaining attentive to the divine moment and to the eunuch's questions. The eunuch is searching. He's got his dial of wonder all turned up. He's a sponge taking in as much life-changing dialogue as he can. And Philip had this eagerness to be attentive, and the next right step will always allow us to be attentive. Last week, we talked about being attentive and how we pause, how Peter and John paused on their journey, how intentionally pausing with someone gives us the opportunity to lean in, to pay attention. And here, when we're talking about being attentive, we're not just talking about listening to respond. It's not about being an ambassador. It's not about carrying on the conversation. It should be more about carrying on the relationship. Those are different. It's not just listening to respond, but listening to understand. To understand where someone is actually coming from. What they are actually struggling with. What they really need from us. What, what we can offer to them or their circumstances. You see, when we listen to understand, we're reading the room. We're reading the situation. Most importantly, we're reading the person across from us all while being attentive to the divine moment that God has placed us in. Philip listens to the eunuch's questions about this Isaiah passage and then opens his mouth and begins with this passage and then moves towards the good news of Jesus. Philip has this incredible willingness to go and this desire and eagerness to be attentive, but that's not where it stops. The third ambassador trait that we see in Philip is his readiness to be utilized. His readiness to be utilized, right? Philip opens his mouth to explain the Isaiah passage and expand onto the good news of Jesus. And as the chariot continues the journey, they come across water and, and the eunuch, he, he initiates the conversation about baptism. And you'll notice because you're a smart crowd and you probably noticed this as soon as we read it, but there's no verse 37 now everybody's going to go back and be like, what? No. Are you serious? No verse 37. See, Bible commentators believe that it was, it was added in later as a side note. The New American Standard Bible cites it, verse 37, as being the eunuch's confession of faith. So while we do not have the eunuch's confession of faith in the earliest manuscripts of Scripture, we don't have his profession of Christ as Savior. We can trust that Philip would have continued to hold fast to the apostles' way of conversion and, and he would have continued his own practice of baptism that we see earlier in Acts 8 in Samaria. The eunuch commands the chariot to stop 
They both go down to the water. Philip baptized the eunuch. When they come up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord came and carried Philip away. What a sight that would have been. Not just for the eunuch, but think about the driver. The driver's watching the whole thing. What's he doing going, what on earth are we doing here? It's hot. Can we please leave? This is so weird. But the eunuch goes on his way, not in question. His questions have stopped. Now he's rejoicing in his new life. See, right after Philip was commissioned by the apostles to teach, preach, and I love this, to proclaim the gospel to others, he goes to Samaria. Many more come to faith in Christ, and, and now we have not, not a crowd, but we have a one-on-one discipleship opportunity that he excels in as well. Philip's readiness to be utilized was on display through his ability to explain the Isaiah passage, then move into a gospel message on the good news of Christ, which would have been very similar to Peter's message in Acts chapter 2 at the day of Pentecost, in which Peter challenged all to repent and be baptized. And, And the message spoken by Philip that day must have convicted the heart of the eunuch and spoken to his soul in a way that was fresh and new because the eunuch brings up baptism, the first sign of water on the side of the road. He offers the eunuch new life in and through Christ, a life that is no longer hindered by sin or shame. And listen, remember that side note from before? Worship that is no longer hindered by his disfigurement. A new life given by Christ through the sacrifice of the Savior, the resurrection of the Messiah, to say that Philip was ready to be utilized, that that he was equipped for the word and work of God would be an understatement. And here's something that's just probably really surprising to most of us. We don't know what Philip's gifts were. He didn't take the Lifeway gift assessment test it wasn't invented yet. We, shocker, we don't know what his Enneagram number was. Ah, I don't know how they functioned. Ah, the road back to you? Maybe, I don't know. We, we don't know what his disc profile was. We don't know what his strengths finder was. And here's where I'm going to stand on my soapbox for about three seconds. I think we use these tools as good as they are as wonderful resources as these personality tools can be, I think we use them either to propel us forward or to hold us back. As as if God can't use us beyond what these assessments say about us. We pay much more attention to what number we are rather than where God has called us to go and serve. Now I'll step down. (laughs) Take a breath. See, what I think is valuable for us to pay attention to as fellow ambassadors who are learning traits from Philip is that his willingness to go, his eagerness to be attentive, and his readiness to be utilized all point to what we've been saying for this entire series, is that if you've experienced the good news of Jesus, then you are equipped to deliver the good news of Jesus which leads us right into the big idea of this passage. Ambassadors go where God is going. 
Last week we talked about how ambassadors focus on what God is doing. This week, this passage lays out that ambassadors go where God is going. Ambassadors follow God towards his plan. Ambassadors listen to God's promptings. Ambassadors are willing to put their preferences, their opinions, and their plans on hold for the sake of the kingdom. Now, I I wish I could. It would be so nice. It would be such a nice gift. I can't tell each of us where God is calling us. I, I can't tell us that. I can't tell you that. I wish I could tell myself that. I don't know. I don't know where I'm going to be in 50 years. That'd be awesome to know. I can't tell each of us where God is calling us, but I can tell us all that God is not calling us to be stagnant or to be lukewarm or to be standing still or to be lackluster or to be sluggish or to be spiritually lazy. Ambassadors go where God is going. Listen, your time is not up. You are not too old. You are not too young. You have enough experience. You have enough Bible up here. Do you have enough Bible down here? That's where it matters. You have enough to hold a baby in the nursery and tell them that Jesus loves them. You have enough to hand out food to those in our community during first Saturday service. You have enough to lead a Bible study with a small group. You have enough to go on that mission trip that frightens you to death. You have enough to teach our kids on Sunday morning about the love of Christ. You have enough to pray for your coworkers and neighbors who are really annoying. You have enough to serve with our tech team. You have enough to lead our teenagers through life's ups and downs. You have enough because you have Christ and Christ is all we need. Philip has this willingness to go because he knows he does not go alone. He goes with Christ. There's this eagerness to be attentive from Philip because Philip knows how Christ has been attentive to him. There's this readiness to be utilized because he has something to give. He has Jesus to give what do you have to give what do we have to give are we willing to go let's pray